Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. We are MODIS, and we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, a new enclave and our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. The Colonel has made great strides restoring this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Greetings, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. We all like to believe that we are masters of our own destiny, that our actions help drive history forward, and in the case of Appalachia, that we will define the future. However, there are others with plans of their own. Trader Red stumbles upon the remnant of the past in her journey north, while Day and the Overseer prepare to make their own play for wresting control of Appalachia's destiny from the White Spring. Major Stein and Sophia uncover new secrets in the Ash Heap and learn the fate of the rest of her crew, deepening the mystery of her condition. At Foundation, Lieutenant Cindy and Amanda attempt to deliver news to the Colonel regarding Shadow's strange comings and goings, and deep in the Savage Divide, the tide is rising, representing a threat that may soon engulf the entire region. Well, this is my last journal entry. Not sure why I've been recording these holotapes for so long, but I guess I just needed someone to talk to, even if it's just me. Hard to believe I'm the only one left. Little old me against a world of Scorched. All of the instructions for getting the Scorched detection system up and running are prepped and ready to go. Will it do any good? I have no idea. I don't even know if there's anyone left to save, but I have to try. You know, I've been arguing with myself for a while now. That maybe I should just stay. Maybe someone will come along and I can help them. Abby the hero. That's what they'd call me, right? But then I thought about Dad, and Calvin, Ella, the Coens, all those folks at Harper's and Madigan. They were the real heroes. Me? I just tinker. Oh God, Abby, will you please cut the crap? It's this bunker, the isolation. This is why I can't stay. I've done all I can here, and hiding from the world isn't going to change anything. That's why I have to leave. If I don't do it now, I might never at all. So, I've packed everything I can. Dad's hat and that crazy quiet rifle of his. Food, supplies, spare parts. In case I do find Madigan, or that damn uplink. Whatever happens to me, my tapes, those instructions, they'll help whoever comes after. I just have to believe that someone will. This is Abigail Singh, last of the Free States. Signing off. The old holotape clicked off, leaving the bunker in silence. Red leaned her head back against the moldy concrete wall and stared at the ceiling. <laughs> and I thought I had things rough back in Tennessee. After her encounter with antlers and the big sheep, Red had run north as fast as she could. The bad men that her cryptid friend had warned her about were probably still on her trail, if their little encounter with antlers' other friend hadn't gotten rid of them entirely. Red seriously doubted it. Someone was very interested in where she was going 
following her from a distance, but staying out of sight. Does it really matter, though? Fingering the explosive collar around her neck, Red figured it didn't. At least until she found, well, whatever it was that she was supposed to be looking for. By the map she'd been given, Red estimated she was up near the northern part of the mire now. She had passed Berkeley Springs and waded through waist-deep water and swamp muck around some old chemical factory full of bots, barely escaping being eaten by some big lizard salamander-looking monsters. Fragmentation grenades are really bad for the digestion, ain't they? Before she stumbled upon an old road leading due north, she figured it was a hell of a lot easier to travel on solid ground and give her clothes a chance to dry out a bit before they rotted out completely. <laughs> easier? Yeah. Easier for them varmints to try to eat me. Red had been walking down this one particular stretch of road when something jumped out of the trees right in front of her. She ain't ever seen the likes of it. It was a glowing ghoul-looking thing, but bigger, meaner, with these long clawed hands and a mouthful of mean teeth. <laughs> Reminded me of old Uncle Remus, but with better breath. <laughs> Thank goodness Red was already a bit on edge, if a little tired. She had lined up old Percy and emptied her whole magazine into the thing, knocking it backwards and over an old concrete road divider. Didn't quite kill it, though. It was back on its feet and screaming at her in no time. But she put the second magazine straight into its head, blowing out those teeth and ventilating its brain pan. That put it down for good. Who knew he'd have friends? That's when the other two showed up leaping down from the trees and setting their sights on little old Red. There wasn't much else she could do other than to turn and run, and run she did. The demon things were quick and stayed on her heels for a while, until she nearly ran straight into the biggest damn fuzzy-looking teddy bear she'd ever seen. Well, maybe not a teddy bear, but it was huge, covered in these crazy mushroom things with giant claws. It just looked down at her with these sleepy eyes while Red tried to figure out if it was going to try to eat her. Not gonna lie. Figured I was cooked like a cat on a hot tin roof. Caught between the fuzzy monster in front of her and the two glowing demons behind her, Red hesitated, only for the screams of the other two attracting the attention of the Hulk and the Beast. Neatly sidestepping her, the big monster shuffled off to the south and with one swipe of its massive claws, sent both of her pursuers into the trees. It was enough to convince them to look elsewhere for their next meal, and Red sighed with relief when she watched them retreat back the way they came. The fuzzy monster just scratched itself and resumed its slow, shuffling walk back up the road, not paying any attention to Red at all. Finally, something in this godforsaken country that isn't trying to kill or eat me, or both. Red had survived, again. However, she still had no idea where she was going, other than further north into the deep mire, and it was starting to get dark. Just before the sun went down, she found the entrance to an old bunker built into the hillside. Some kind of automated message plate when she first entered, but Red was too busy trying to barricade the door against anything else that might try to get in to give it a listen. But I know now. Kinda wish I didn't. When Red was finally satisfied that no one else would be coming in behind her, she'd had time to look around the rest of the bunker. It wasn't half bad, if a bit moldy and smelly, and maybe a little bit of water, but mostly dry. She found some preserved food and water, even some extra supplies and med kits she could use. Then she found the journals. Red had spent the better part of a few hours going through what appeared to be years of recordings from one Abigail Singh. She sounded like one heck of a woman, too. Smart, resourceful, funny, too. Mostly. You and me got a lot in common there, Abby. Well, she and Abby had been the last of their kin. How they got there might have been a bit different, but it was them against the world. For Red, it had been the Reavers. 
And for Abby, them damn scorched. Looks like we both lost, didn't we, darling? Red had finally curled up on one of the old beds back in the family room and fell asleep reading Abby's journal. That night, her dreams had been filled with images of home, of her ma and pa, and reunions with her kin up in the hills, then a giant wall of fire that came down from the mountains and consumed them all. Red had woken with a start, reaching for old Percy before realizing she was just hearing the ticking over of the old fusion generator in the next room. Damn it, girl. You're still awfully tired. Red really was. The miles had taken their toll, and she felt like she was still no closer to wherever the hell she needed to be. Crawling out of bed, Red stripped down and looked at herself in the mirror. The image that stared back looked like a ghost. Her eyes were bloodshot and swollen, a symptom of too much time spent in the mire swamps, and her skin was pale with a yellowish complexion. But I'm still a damn fine looker, ain't I? <laughs> Red rummaged through the drawers and managed to find a decent set of replacement clothes that she figured must have been Abby's from back in the day. And while the bunker didn't have much in the way of running water, it did have the makings of a bathtub and plenty of leftover soap. A good old country bath it is. Red had had to put up with a lot worse in her time, and it felt good to scrape off a couple of weeks' worth of mud and muck. And maybe she felt just a little more human again. After getting dressed, Red sat down at Abby's old dining table and opened up a can of cram and a side Instamash. She would have preferred grits and rad hog flank steak from back home, but hell, beggars and choosers and all that, like her pa used to say. Polishing off the last of the food with some purified water, Red glanced over to Abby's terminal. Whatever the scorch detection system was, she guessed no one had bothered to stop by to listen to Abby's plan or instructions, which meant all that work had just been sitting here after she left for parts unknown. Damn shame. But who knows, right? Just gonna leave all this here just in case. Red made sure her intrusion hadn't messed up anything Abby set up and took the opportunity to take a few more supplies from the nearly empty pantry before putting on her hat, slinging old Percy over her shoulder and walking back upstairs. She looked back into the empty bunker and spoke. Abby, thank you for your fine hospitality. I hope you don't mind the intrusion and all, but you put a roof over my head for a night, and I'm eternally grateful for that, darling. Don't know what happened to you, but I'm awfully sorry for how things turned out for you and your kin. Red tipped her hat to her invisible benefactor and removed the bracing from the bunker door. The sights and sounds of the mire were there to greet her, just as they had been the day before. All right, you stupid map. Which way do we go from here? Red had just about reached the very top of every map she'd been given, but the mire still stretched out for what seemed like forever in front of her. Here there be monsters, darling. Guess we just keep moving. Taking one last look behind her, then gazing down the road to the south, Red closed the bunker door and stepped back out in the path set before her. She slowly walked down the hill to the old road before crossing it and disappearing into the underbrush. Target reacquired, Commander. Excellent. Maintain contact, but be careful. Yes, sir. Betrayed only by its movement, a figure dressed in nearly all black armor and face masks turned off their comlink and slowly follow Red's trail before vanishing from sight. The Overseer's caravan slowly made their way up towards the front gates of Foundation. 
It had been a long trek from Morgantown, with many stops along the way, including meetings with allies at Flatwoods and Helvetia, before resupplying at Sutton for the rest of the journey. Since the failed assassination attempt after the Vault Town celebration, Day had been prepared for some kind of retribution from the Whitespring. He had doubled the guard at Sutton and kept a close eye on the overseer, just in case. However, Valeria had almost contemptuously left them alone. While the overseer had stayed with the main caravan heading back to Sutton, Day had gone directly back to Foundation. More than ever, it was vital to get their Vault 79 project complete before they found themselves in direct conflict with the new Enclave. After witnessing the battle on the shore of the Spruce Lake, they understood exactly how outgunned they were. If they could just secure Vault 79, it would change the power dynamics of the region in their favor. But time was beginning to run out. With the Overseer on her way to Foundation, Day needed to make sure that his counterpart, Cindy, was still in the dark as to their plans. What do you mean she's gone? Well, she left a couple days ago, said she had to meet a friend and that she'd be back. And you just let her leave? She ain't a prisoner, Day. What was I supposed to do? Day was angry, but the guard was right. Per their agreement with the Whitespring, Cindy had just as much right to come and go as she pleased as Day did. However, he suspected the young woman was coming awfully close to discovering exactly what they were planning, and he couldn't let that information get back to her superiors. Fine, but you need to let me know as soon as she gets back. Do you understand? Sure, Day. Sure. Day had to take a deep breath and calm himself before making the rounds to ensure everything would be ready for the Overseer's arrival. He made a point to avoid speaking to Ward. The last thing he wanted was to talk about those damn missing osmosis kits again. Heading down into the depths of the Spruce Knob, he met with Jen and Dr. Penelope Hornwright, who had successfully cracked the problem of getting through the laser grids in Vault 79, along with providing access to an old Hornwright Industries project, the Motherload, which would get them into the vault itself. Then he met with the ex-U.S. military team, whose efforts got them the technical data they needed from Robco to deactivate the advanced defense turrets. Finally, he spoke with Paige to confirm the operation could proceed. It had taken nearly a year to gather everything required, but they were on the cusp of securing the future of Appalachia, and Day wasn't going to let anything get in their way. He received word that the Overseer's caravan had been spotted, so he rushed upstairs to greet her. The Overseer was near the front of the column, and she perked up when she saw Day standing by the entrance, waiting for her. Day, my boy. I'm so glad to see you. You too, Overseer. Any problems along the way? Nothing to be concerned about. Our friends are all in agreement that they will wait to hear back from us. That's good to hear. After what happened by the lake. I don't understand either. One minute she's saving lives, and the next we hear about more disappearances and strong-arming settlements. We should have killed her at Morgantown. Day. I know, I know. We need to stay focused on what we are doing. Once we secure Vault 79, it will change everything. I just spoke with Paige. We're ready to go. We might have one loose end, though. A problem? Not if you let me take care of it. Day's eyes grew cold. You are not to touch a hair on that girl's head, Day. And if she informs the White Spring? Day. Sydney is not our enemy. She's part of my family. I will not allow you to bring harm to her. Not now, not ever. Do you understand? Fine. Day. I said fine. It won't hurt her. But you have to let me take precautions, just in case. What kind of precautions? We can just 
hold on to her. No visitors, no radio. Just until we're finished. I know you don't like it, but we can't let them know what we're doing. It's just too important. Okay, but I need you to swear, Dave, that you won't hurt her. Overseer? I swear. All right. Now, let's get everyone inside. When will the team be ready to leave? Two days. We'll be traveling light and we'll need to detour around some recent super mutant activity. Been getting some strange reports from folks near Huntersville, but I don't think it's anything to be concerned about right now. Okay. I hope you have an appetite, my boy. We brought some fresh desserts from Sutton, including Paige's favorite. Cranberry cobbler? Of course. Well then, we do need to get inside. But let's not tell Ward, okay? Still looking for those osmosis kits, is he? I don't have the heart to tell him that the Sunnybots keep swiping them. Are you serious, my boy? The Sunnybots? It's a long story. Then tell me over dinner, then. Sounds like we'll have some long days ahead of us. But after, everything changes for the better. I hope so, Overseer. I really do. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. I never imagined it could be so bad. There's a bit of irony that a lot of this happened before the war. I heard stories about the strikes, some of the unrest, but you know, the newspapers never really covered them. No, not a lot of money to be making the corporations angry, or all the politicians that they had in their payroll. And Welch? Uh, that's a bit of a longer story in a few parts. Big accident before the war, then the mole miners, and finally that Assaultron sheep thing. It may be a while before anyone settles here again. And back at Charleston, all that destruction. What happened at the dam? Raiders. The Christmas Flood of 82 is what they called it. Did the Enclave try to help? We didn't, Sophia. You didn't, but why not? Eckhart, or President Chucklefucks as we called him, he didn't really care about what happened to the rest of Appalachia. I told you a bit about what happened. He was so focused on trying to nuke China again that he never really cared about what happened to the people up here. That's awful. I can't even imagine. That explains why you tried to get rid of him. I just wish sometimes we had done something sooner. Maybe things could have turned out differently. And maybe Molly would still be alive. Andrew, I'm sorry. I'm sure you tried your best. Sophia, I appreciate that. But my best wasn't good enough. 
I'm trying to make up for past mistakes. Speaking of past mistakes, you really should wear your gas mask. The air isn't great around here. Nothing smells normal anymore. And Dr. Harefield would skin me alive if you got sick. Well, we can't have that now, can we? So, how do we get down there, Andrew? Let's see. How about we hike down there? Behind the old train station. Looks like solid ground to me. Lead the way. I do hope my crew is okay, or we can get some more information on them. Sophia put on her gas mask while Stein pulled a bandana up over his mouth and nose. The two of them walked slowly down the dirt-covered hillside, stepping over odd pieces of debris and around partially buried mining equipment. The train station, once a makeshift trading post after the war, then repaired by the new settlers after Reclamation Day, was again in ruins after the attack by the Robus Ultron. Whoever had tried to make their final stand had suffered the full brunt of the robot's attack, which had nearly leveled the entire structure. There was little left of the rest of the town, with most buildings being no more than piles of fresh rubble on top of much older debris. Andrew, over here. Do you see that? Stein looked up to see Sophia pointing towards the edge of town. Sure enough, he spotted a small group of mole miners clearing parts of the wreckage. Mole miners. Let's see if we can avoid them. The two of them snuck around the train station and into the piles of wreckage, trying to keep good cover between themselves and the shuffling shapes. What are they exactly? Uh, no one really knows. Even I don't know much. I heard talk of them back in the day, after the war. I don't think anyone even saw one up close until about a year ago. The Colonel wasn't too concerned about the ash heap. Most of our efforts were focused elsewhere. There were always stories. What kind of stories? Stories about scavers heading into the old mines and never coming back out. Mole rats strapped with frag mines being used as weapons. All sorts of scary tales about what goes on under our feet. Admittedly, I thought they were just stories. But I guess everything has to have some truth to it. Sounds like an episode straight out of Tales from the Appalachian Hills. Do my ears deceive me? Am I standing next to a fan of Tales from the Appalachian Hills? Oh, I always listened, right after catching the Unstoppables or Silver Shroud. You never cease to amaze me, Sophia. I'll take that as a compliment, Andrew. Alright, let's get on with our own secret mission. I think we're getting close. Uh, based on Modus's picture, should be right around that corner. What are we waiting for? Let's go. Hold up. I think I hear something. Stein mentioned for Sophia to sit tight as he crawled forward around the large mound of debris they were currently hiding behind. When he peeked his head around the corner, he saw what they were looking for. Out of place in this desolate landscape of the ash heap, the USAA escape pod was sitting upright in a small crater alongside one of the ruined buildings. The craft looked reasonably intact and its parachute hung loosely to one side, rippling in the wind. Stein couldn't see any movement or evidence that anyone had exited the craft but he wouldn't know for sure until they had examined it up close. Stein crawled back to where Sophia was laying in wait. Alright. Looks like it's there. I still hear those mole miners. I think they're a ways off. Come on, let's go. Sophia nodded and double-checked the safety on her rifle. It had been a while since she shot at anything, but the refresher course back at the White Spring gave her the confidence that she could hold her own in a fight. Stein raised his own rifle and scanned their surroundings again before slowly approaching the craft. As they got closer, they could see that the rear hatch was partially open. Hmm. Maybe they got out? I'm not sure. The 
wind shifted and Stein got a whiff of a very particular odor coming from the hatch. He put up his hand to get Sophia to stop where she was while he went to investigate. Oh, no. Poor bastards. What is it, Andrew? Are they there? Are they okay? I'm... I'm sorry, Sophia. They didn't make it. Sophia's eyes teared up as she tore off her gas mask and then ran to the side of the craft. Stein tried to stop her, but this was her crew, and she needed to know what happened to them. Oh, God. They're... they're really gone. Stein put his arms around Sophia as she cried. He looked over her shoulder into the craft. The three crew members must have died during re-entry. Their bodies were still strapped into their capsules, but they appeared to have suffocated from a lack of oxygen. It must have been a horrible way to die. Sophia slowly pulled herself back together. Andrew, can you help me get this hatch open? Sure thing. Let's try and be quiet. Without power, they'd have to open the hatch the rest of the way using the manual release. Sophia found the access panel and grabbed the small lever, rotating it the Stein pulled against the hatch. It took some effort, but slowly the hatch began to open. It was louder than either of them would have liked, but they hoped the mole miners would continue to busy themselves elsewhere. I just need to... They were my crew. I know you understand. We should give them a proper burial, at least. Sophia, I don't know if that's a good idea. We're already in dangerous territory as is. Let me at least get their ID tags, okay? It's the least I can do. And they deserve so much better. Alright. Just be careful. We need to check to see if there's anything else here we can recover. Data recorders, holotapes, anything related to the mission. I'll... Hmm, see what I can find. If we're lucky, there should be an entire mission download in there as well. I just don't understand what happened here. Everything looks fine, aside from crash damage. Let me see if I can power up the computer. Just try to be quick. I don't know how much time we have here. Sophia put her crew ID tags in her pouch and crouched over the capsule terminal. The batteries were low, but she was finally able to get the system to boot up. First calling up the capsule diagnostics, she ran through the data and was puzzled. Oh, this is strange, Andrew. Take a look. Someone sent an override signal. They shut off life support. Why would someone from the USSA do that? Are you sure about that? There hasn't been a USSA for decades. I don't think they sent it, Sophia. But the codes are authentic, Andrew. I need to download the log files to be sure. How long is this going to take? I'm going as fast as I can. There are project files in here, too. It may take a little while. Sophia... This was your idea, remember? This information, this mystery, could be key to knowing what happened. Uh... Actually, I believe it was Dr. Harefields, but point taken. I'll be right outside, okay? Be careful, Andrew. Stein put his hand on Sophia's shoulder and squeezed gently. She looked over her shoulder and gave him a wink before turning back to the keyboard, copying the files as quickly as she could. Stein crawled through the hatch and posted behind the wreck, keeping watch. As the minutes ticked by, Stein heard the telltale shuffling of mole miners. He peeked over the wreck and didn't like what he saw. Damn it! Four of the hooded figures were slowly making their way towards them, and one of them was carrying a rocket launcher. Stein popped his head back into the hatch. Sophia! Sophia, we have company! Okay, 
Okay, I'm almost done. We need these files. Stein swore under his breath. He didn't want to start a firefight, but he couldn't let the mole miners get too much closer. The muffled sounds of mole miner conversation, or whatever passed for conversation between the creatures, sounded far too close for comfort. Stein slowly crept around the side of the craft and pointed his rifle downrange. Go away! Is someone shooting at us? Keep your head down, Sophia. Just finish that damn download. Sophia ducked back inside the capsule as automatic weapons fire started ricocheting off the side. Stein cursed again and rolled to his right, bringing the mole miners into his sights. He squeezed the trigger and felt the rifle kick as he emptied his magazine into the group. The one carrying the rocket launcher was the first to fall over, followed by one of the others, but the third and fourth returned fire with what appeared to be old assault rifles, forcing Stein to roll back under cover. Slapping a fresh magazine into the rifle, Stein moved around to the other side of the debris mound, getting a better angle on the two shooting in their direction. With several well-placed bursts, he was able to kill one of them and wound the other. The final creature yelled something before disappearing back into the old Welch ruins. Well, that can't be good. Stein ran back to the capsule and caught Sophia on her way out. Sophia! Sophia! Come on, Sophia, we have to go! Right, I think I have everything. There were files I didn't even recognize. Names, Project Deep Sleep, communications I never saw before. I can't make heads or tails of it. But maybe it will make sense when we get back. Good, because I don't think our mole miner friends are done. Sure enough, they could hear the sound of more mole miners, all heading in their direction. Time to go. Agreed. Sophia stuffed the data holotapes into her backpack, grabbed her rifle, and jumped down to the ground. More rifle fire ricocheted off the capsule, and yet another rocket was launched in their direction. We can't go back the way we came. Head east. We'll cut around the old sludge works and make our way towards a safe house we have just outside of Louisburg. Sophia ran first while Stein rose and fired at the pursuing mole miners, hopefully to keep their heads down and let them create some distance between them. The terrain in the ash heap made for hard running, between patches of quicksand-like ash piles, flaming fissures and discarded equipment, and old mining vehicles strewn this way and that. It wasn't easy to keep up the pace. The mole miners weren't nearly as fast, but they were far more adapted to their surroundings. This was their home and they weren't just going to let the trespassers go. Ah! Stein stumbled when he felt the impact of a rifle round against the backside of his armor. Andrew! Sophia ran back and started to help Stein to his feet. The bullet had torn a clean hole in his long coat, but luckily his armor absorbed the rest of the impact. It was going to leave quite a bruise, but he was okay. A pair of mole miners seemed to emerge straight from the earth ahead of both Stein and Sophia. Almost without thinking, the former astronaut raised her rifle and fired hitting both of them and sending the bodies sprawling. Stein leaned in and gave Sophia a quick peck on the cheek before grabbing her arm and getting them both back on the run again. They spent the next half hour ducking and dodging before they finally lost track of their pursuers. They were also not too far from their destination, but Sophia's legs finally gave out, and she gave Stein's arm a tug. Andrew, I need to take a rest. Okay, Sophia. There's an old abandoned mine shaft up ahead. Looks like the outside of the building is partially intact. We'll hold up here, then get a rest. Head up to Louisburg. They walked the short distance to what had been an old Hornwright mine. The shaft itself had long collapsed, but the support buildings were still in place. Stein went first to make sure it was truly abandoned. Walking up the stairs, Stein was careful to keep his rifle in front. The lower structure was full of rusted equipment and replacement parts, but it was the upper section that was much more interesting. He found the first mole miner's body on the stairs leading up, followed by several more inside. 
Each of them had been shot several times, with a couple of them done execution style, with a shingle shot through their masks into the head. Everything okay, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. It's clear. There's a lot of bodies. My, what happened here? Massacre. I don't think this was settlers. Or raiders. This is far too precise. It, it looks like a military operation. Your people? Not us. This happened in the last couple of days, I'd wager. Teams aren't anywhere near here. And certainly we haven't been. Not in a while. Sophia leaned down to examine the dead mole miner more closely. The body was covered in a heavy brownish cloak and the face was completely hidden by its mask. She tried moving things around and discovered that under the cloak, it was wearing a very thick leathery mining suit. Andrew, help me get this cloak off. Just be careful. The cloak almost appeared to be sewn into the very suit itself, even attached to the mask as well. It took some doing and the body smelled even worse up close, but they were finally able to remove the cloak. What is this thing? Was this a person? I wish I knew. We have all kinds of mutations around Appalachia. But this? Oh my god. Is that... a tag? Where? Right here. Look at this. Where the ear would be, I guess. That's a tracking tag. Tracking tag? I'm sorry, I'm not following. A long time ago. I did an internship with the forest rangers. Helped with some research projects, including tracking local wildlife. We would go out and catch various animals, weigh them, make some notes, put a tag on them, usually through the ear, so that we could release them back out to the wild when we caught them again, and update our records. Okay, but that doesn't explain why a mole miner of all things is doing with an ear tag. Let's check the other bodies first. If you insist. Stein and Sophia walked around the rest of the bodies. Again, it took some work getting their cloaks off, but to their surprise, each and every one of them had a tag. Andrew, these have a weird shape to them. They aren't rectangular like I would expect. You're right. It almost looks like a logo, but whatever was printed on them is worn away. Can we take one with us? I don't see why not, but I don't know if they'll mean anything. Sorry. It's my mistress of mystery coming out. I love solving puzzles, and this seems to be a pretty big one. All right. Stein cut off several of the tags, and Sophia added them to her pack. They retreated back down to the lower level, away from the bodies. We need to get to Louisburg before dark. Rest up those legs of yours. Then we'll get back on the road. Isn't too far, but expect some hills. Ugh. More hills? It was so much easier when I could just float everywhere I wanted to go. Floating wherever you go? <laughs> I can only imagine, Sophia. Sophia sat down next to Stein and rested her head on his shoulder. <sighs> I'm glad you found me, Andrew. This is such a strange new world, and I'm just now figuring out what my place might be in it. Well, if I'm being honest, I just consider myself lucky. As for where you belong, you can see about figuring that out together. First, though... I want to make sure you're okay. 
I hope that information you found helps. Me too, Andrew. Me too. But speaking of a mistress of mystery, I do remember that I promised we'd take a little side trip on our way back. Tomorrow we'll get back on the road for the White Spring, but I say we stop by Riverside Mansion first. Really? Of course. I mean, who knows what the mistress of mystery herself might be hiding. I'd just be happy to walk those same halls. She was always my hero. As a girl, growing up, always wanted to be the mistress. Here's hoping for a few pleasant surprises. Stein and Sophia rested and talked until it was time to go. They slung their rifles and packs and headed back towards the main road towards Lewisburg. This time, they walked hand in hand. And if you look closely, you might even catch a smile peeking out from under Stein's bandana. As the two disappeared into the mist of the ash heap, a group of mole miners watched them leave from a nearby hill, with one being noticeably taller than the others. Yes, I know, but we shot at them first. I'm certain they're from the resort. It's a good thing we didn't hurt them. And no, I'm not gonna tell the boy. He's not well enough yet and still getting his head wrapped around what I told him. <laughs> They're hunting us on the surface now. Let me worry about those two. I'll follow them for a few days. Make sure they get out of the area safely. You need to protect your people. It's gotten far more dangerous. When I get back, we can talk to the others. <laughs> I know we're running out of time. I'll be back soon as I can. <laughs> you too, my friend, you too. Frederick Rivers pulled the cloak tight around his body and pulled the gas mask over his face before waving goodbye to his compatriots, watching them disappear into a nearby mine shaft. As he walked down the hill in the direction of Lewisburg, he looked over to the horizon. I really could use your help, Shannon. I miss you and Olivia so much. What I wouldn't give for the Mistress of Mysteries right now. Hi everyone, I'm Chris. And I'm not! We're not doing that routine right now, we're trying to do an advertisement. Oh fine, I'm Sir Aloysius Pernicious, the better half of the team at One Wall Comedy. Okay, I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, come check us out on YouTube. We're your number one source for independent sketch comedy on the internet. Yeah, because that's such a big market. All right, come on. Let's get out of here. I'm getting paid for this, right? Don't push your luck. They're still on our trail, Lieutenant. I've got ears, Corporal. Just keep moving. Where are we even going? Southwest. Let's get to the high ground over there. Then we can rest for a minute. Try to raise command again. Okay, Lieutenant. Lieutenant Jones and Corporal Samantha were running for their lives. Jones and Sergeant Tyson had been ambushed just outside of West Tech by super mutants who didn't act like super mutants. They put together a textbook ambush using poor Corporal Johansson as bait. Super mutants didn't plan. 
They didn't strategize. They were just big, dumb mutants. That's what they'd been told. That's what they'd seen observing the mutants at West Tech and Huntersville. But something had changed, and this was bad. Very, very bad. Tyson had volunteered to serve as a distraction to allow Jones to get back to Team Gamma and warn Command. At least that had been the plan. Fat lot of good it did. Once the super mutants had figured out their prey had split up, they had done the same. One group heading off after Tyson, and the other picking up Jones's trail soon after. Jones had no idea if Tyson was still alive, but he certainly hoped so. His one chance was to get back to the main camp and get an update to the bunker, and let them know what was going on. Only he never reached the camp. Halfway there, he'd run into Corporal Samantha and Private Howard running in the opposite direction. The super mutants had attacked the main camp. They'd even staged a distraction first, something they'd never done before. And they killed Private Martin. Samantha and Howard had barely escaped with whatever they could carry, which wasn't much. So they'd all run west, trying to put as much distance between them and the super mutants as they could, and right into another band coming out of Huntersville. Howard had pushed Jones out of the way, just as one of the super mutants let loose with a minigun. There hadn't been enough left of the private to identify. Jones and Samantha had tumbled down the hill while the super mutants had fired down on them. Lucky for them, despite being obviously smarter, the super mutants' aim was still terrible, and the two new Enclave soldiers were able to escape, at least temporarily. But now, they could hear the mutants' hounds howling, which meant they'd caught their scent again. See if you can reach command. I'll keep watch. Yes, sir. The corporal tried to catch her breath before breaking out the long-range radio. Jones pointed his rifle down the hillside, trying to keep his hands from shaking. He could still hear the distant howls of mutant hounds, but at the moment, they didn't appear to be getting closer. Anything, Corporal? No, sir. I'm not getting anything. Just static. Maybe if we get higher? The hills might be blocking the transmission. Just be careful. I don't know how long before they find us again. I'll go as fast as I can, Lieutenant. Jones watched the Corporal scale further up the hill until she disappeared from sight. Turning back around, Jones scanned the tree line below and considered their options. Even if they were able to contact the bunker, it might take several days for help to arrive. Checking the map on his Pip-Boy, they were cut off in almost every direction except maybe northwest. The Emmett Mountain Disposal Site was the closest major landmark and might just be a safe haven. The scavenger crew who set up shop there was pretty heavily armed to deal with the ferals and glowing ghouls, and it put them closer to the White Spring. So maybe, just maybe... Oh, crap! Jones saw a pair of mutant hounds break from the tree line below, followed by a half dozen or so super mutants. Corporal! Jones yelled up the hill, but received no response. God damn it, Samantha! We don't have time to screw around! Swearing again, Jones slung his rifle over his shoulder and started climbing. Beneath him, at the base of the hill, he could already hear the super mutants, and it sounded like they had a good idea where they were. Run! Run, little man! How the hell are they managing all of this? Where the hell is Sam? Jones reached what he thought was the top, only to find himself on a small plateau with a sheer cliff in front of him. There was no sign of the private, but there was the set of tracks that went off to the left. He followed them until... Shit! Right ahead of him, leaning against a rock, was the radio. But no Samantha. Corporal! Sam! Where the hell are you? The only response he received was the wind whistling down from the peaks above, and the sounds of super mutants moving below. Jones grabbed the radio and tried to tune into the command frequency, but there was nothing but static. He turned the dial, but up and down the band, it was nothing but more static. He couldn't waste any more time and threw the radio on his back and went to find the corporal. He had to be somewhere close. Jones followed what appeared to be a game trail further along the side of the hill. When he heard the hounds again, he picked up the pace, nearly running now, keeping his head down. 
until he ran into something. Something tall and hard. Ow! Jones recoiled and fell on his ass, the radio smashing against a rock, spilling vacuum tubes and circuits onto the ground. Jones grabbed his head and tried to get his bearings. His vision was blurry and he looked up at whatever tree or rock he'd managed to run into without seeing it. Oh, shit. Towering above Jones was a super mutant, a big one, wearing some kind of helmet. Before he could scream or grab his rifle, the super mutant reached down and closed its fist around Jones's face with one hand and pulled him up off the ground with the other. He tried to struggle, but he was held tight. Jones was just about ready to try biting the fingers covering his mouth when he received the surprise of his life. Human brothers will hear you. Grand bring you somewhere safe. Found friend too. The super mutant threw Jones on his shoulder and jumped up, grabbing a rock handhold, then another, and another, until they were nearly a hundred feet up the cliffside. Jones was doing his best not to throw up, but then found himself hurled into a small cave, ending up laying on his back, staring at the dark ceiling. Be sorry, human. No time. Brothers would find you. Kill you. Oh my god, Lieutenant, you're okay. <sighs> Jones turned on his side and vomited on the floor of the cave. Well... Ain't you a sight for sore eyes. Sergeant! The one and only. Alright, could someone please tell me just what the hell is going on? Shh, humans! Don't let brothers hear you! Supermutant pushed them all towards the back of the cave and shushed them again. Below, they could hear the sound of multiple supermutants and hounds trying to find them. The minutes ticked by slowly and finally the band moved on, looking elsewhere for their prey. Sergeant, what the hell is going on? You wouldn't believe me. We're sitting in a cave with a friendly super mutant. At this point, I'd believe anything. Brother's gone. But we still wait. Make sure they not come back. Thanks a bunch there, Graham. I really do appreciate it. Just what the heck is going on, Sergeant? Graham here saved my life. Saved mine too, Lieutenant. Jones looked at his teammates, then at Graham, and then back again. Don't understand any of this. Human, big danger. My brothers, they sick in head. No listen to Graham. What do you mean, sick? Act funny. Talk funny. Say Appalachia belong to super mutants. Want get rid of all humans. None of that sounded too good to Jones. Super mutants are violent and dangerous, but they'd never been this organized before. Graham. We need to let our people know what's going on here. The big super mutant scratched its head and then looked at each of the operatives before nodding. Me help. Me no want humans to go away. Me like. Me only want trade. You're a traitor? Me is. Trade with brothers and some humans who not run when see me. Just when Jones thought this whole situation couldn't get any stranger, here he was, talking to a super mutant who just wanted to conduct business. All right. Well, none of our radios work. We need to get someplace where we can make contact. Do you know Emmett Mountain? The super mutant appeared to think for a minute before snapping his enormous fingers. Underground glowing place! Me know! Me trade there with Marion! She nice human! Can you get us there as soon as possible? Me can. No easy. Brothers still look for humans, but Graham no way brothers do not. All right, when can we leave? Humans eat. 
I see a path clear. Supermutant held out his hand, which Jones looked at for a few seconds before taking it. Graham was careful not to crush the human's hand, and he smiled before turning and climbing back down the cliffside. Jones took a deep breath and turned to Tyson and Samantha. All right, you do. I still don't understand any of this, but more than ever, the Colonel needs to know what's going on. If, when, we get to Emmett Mountain, priority number one is to get a message back to the White Spring. Absolutely, LT. Graham did say to eat, right? Sergeant, you were here first. Where's the food? It's over here. For a super mutant, he makes one tasty mole rep. Jones laughed, and the three of them helped themselves to Graham's leftovers. While they ate, Jones tried to figure out exactly what he was going to say to the colonel, and he couldn't shake the nagging feeling that things were about to get far, far worse. Since the establishment of Foundation, Ward and his security force had gone to great lengths to improve the defenses of the settlement. New barricades and turrets had been set up along the walls, with guards on nearly continuous patrol. Despite all these precautions, it became an Appalachian-wide joke that Ward couldn't keep his bone saws, osmosis kits, or multiscopes from being constantly stolen. There were few adventurers who hadn't been roped into trying to track down Ward's stolen equipment, because after the third or fourth time, those same adventurers would find any excuse they could to stay as far away from Ward as possible. On this particular night, Ward had tripled the guards on duty. The Overseer and Day were meeting with the rest of the leadership at Foundation to put their Vault 79 plan into motion. It had taken months to collect the necessary tools and talent, but they were finally ready to break into the Vault. When the Overseer discovered the true purpose of Vault 79, the storage of the entire U.S. Gold Reserve in case of nuclear war, it became imperative to secure it before the new enclave at the White Spring did. With a stable gold supply, it would be possible to begin printing money again, establishing trade, and building a sustainable economy. It struck at the very heart of what the mission of Vault 76 was, at least as far as the Overseer was concerned. She knew about the rest of vault the secret plans to use most of the other vaults and experiments to test human nature, character, morality, physical and mental limits, all to ensure that only the best of humanity would survive to rebuild. It was all for the greater good, she would keep telling herself. It was this knowledge that the Overseer would keep to herself. If she could only strike the spark to rekindle a birth of civilization, everything else would have been worth it. Her enthusiasm had been infectious, and now the Overseer's 76ers and Foundation were about to embark on what they hoped would be a turning point for them all. The guards were mostly huddled around their fires, warming their hands and wondering which piece of equipment Ward was going to lose tomorrow. Unseen, making their way through the underbrush, Cindy and Amanda were approaching Foundation's back entrance. Wouldn't it just be easier going through the main gate? Everyone here knows me. They know me too, baby doll. I'm not exactly on the friendliest terms with Ward and Paige. Amanda, what did you do? Let's just say that maybe some of those missing osmosis kits and a bone saw or two might have ended up at the bar. Amanda? Shh, baby doll, do you want all of Foundation to figure out we're here? We're going to talk about this later, Amanda. You're so cute when you're angry. And you're the worst, you know that. Like I said, so cute. Cindy fumed, but they had more important things to do at the moment. She never liked Shadow. There was just something off about him from this very beginning. 
Of course, Cindy had heard the stories back in Vault 76, and despite the high praise he'd gotten in the bunker, just being around him had given her the heebie-jeebies. Now he was off on his own, involved in something about the astronaut, Sophia Daguerre. Cindy hadn't had the chance to meet her yet, but she'd learned enough when she reported back to the White Spring or met with the local operatives in the area. Cindy had to get the information to the colonel. Maybe, just maybe, she already knew all about it and Cindy was worried over nothing. But the way Amanda described what happened at the Spider's Web didn't sound like anything the colonel would order. Okay, the coast is clear. Looks like the guards are changing shifts. You go first, I'll be right behind you. Amanda and Cindy slipped past the open gate and soon disappeared into the shadows. They've got an alternate radio room around here somewhere, right? Yeah, the long-range radios are all downstairs. No way we can get there without someone seeing us. But the transmission towers are all up on top of Spruce Knob. And they have a backup radio up there. Perfect. We can be in and out before anyone knows we're here. You still haven't explained how I'm going to relay the message without Shadow finding out. If it's as bad as it seems and he's gone rogue, he's special ops. He might be able to intercept on the normal frequencies or hack into the bunker systems. See this? Amanda pulled out a small device about the size of an old walkie-talkie. It had a series of wires with different connectors attached. F, let me borrow this a few months ago. It's what spies use when they want to connect to specific frequency without anyone listening in. You know the colonel's pip frequency, don't you? Yeah, but I was told never to use it. Baby doll, if there was any time to break the rules, this is it. I guess you're right. And Shadow won't be able to intercept it? Nope. And you'll be able to tell the colonel all about him. I can't. I mean, I could get into a lot of trouble. I have a feeling you, me, and a lot of people are already in a lot of trouble. What's the worst that can happen? They could kick me out of the bunker. Like, for good. Then you can come live with me. See? It's a win-win. Amanda, this is not funny. Baby doll, it was a little funny. But seriously, you're doing the right thing. Everything you told me about this shadow and the astronaut just screams bad, bad, and more bad. All right. Come on, we can go around the sawmill and head upstairs. Amanda nodded, then checked the safety on her pistol. She hoped it would be as easy as she claimed, but if push came to shove, she would prepare to do whatever it took to make sure Cindy delivered her message. The local tavern was hopping, but the rest of the foundation was deathly quiet. The sound of rotating turrets could be heard as Amanda and Cindy crept around the courtyard to the big observation tower that sat on top of Spruce Knob. Amanda froze as she heard the snap of a lighter above them. Looking up, she saw one of the guards looking out into the distance, taking a long drag from their cigarette. Putting her finger to her lips, Amanda motioned for Cindy to keep walking. The guard never noticed them, and said flicking the cigarette off the wall and walking in the opposite direction. Cindy breathed a sigh of relief, and they both moved a little faster. Those are the stairs. We just have to go all the way up to the top. Let's move. They both hurried and reached the stairs without being seen. Taking the stairs two at a time, Cindy tripped halfway up, knocking an old Nuka-Cola bottle off the railing and down to the yard below. Amanda winced as it smashed into the concrete and broke. They both waited for some alarm to be raised, but nothing moved. Maybe try not to do that again, baby doll. Sorry. Being a little more careful this time, they finally reached the top of the tower. I'll check first. Hold on a second. Amanda pulled out her pistol and slowly opened the door to the backup radio room. Glancing inside, she didn't see anything other than a bunch of equipment and terminals piled against the walls. It's clear. They both went inside and Amanda found the radio. It'll take me a few minutes to get everything connected. 
I don't know exactly how much time we'll have, so when you get the kernel, just get to the point. No small talk, okay? No small talk. Got it. Amanda prayed she remembered all of Beth's instructions. Some of the more technical lingo had been right over her head, but she could recall all the basics. Amanda connected the wires and turned on the device. There were three lights along the top. The first one turned green, then the second. But the third hovered between orange and red. Damn it. What's wrong? Nothing, I think. Hold on. Amanda remembered one of Beth's last instructions. Amanda was rewarded when the last light flickered once, then changed to green. Okay, baby doll. I did my part. Your turn. Cindy went up to the radio and started turning the dial. It would take a minute or two to get to the colonel's frequency. It was just like placing a phone call. Well, at least she imagined it was, based on the stories her parents used to tell her about things were like before the war. Could you go a little faster? Almost there. I just need to lock this in and we should have her. Get away from that radio, Cindy. Both Amanda and Cindy turned to see Day standing in the doorway, flanked by two other Foundation guards. Day, you don't understand. I have to talk to the Colonel. It's super important. I can't let you do that, Cindy. Hey, shithead. Why don't you listen to the girl? You have no idea what's going on. Amanda, right? Well, I promised the Overseer I wouldn't hurt Cindy. But you? That wasn't part of the deal. Day, don't you dare... I've been threatened by bigger men than you, asshole. You think you can take me? Wanna try? Last chance. Get away from the radio. You're coming with us. You and what army? Day could see the look in Amanda's eyes. She wasn't going to go easy. But luckily, he had prepared contingencies, just in case Cindy had proven troublesome. Shoot them. Day! Amanda was ready to spring into action. She figured she could at least distract them, perhaps long enough for Cindy to send her message or even get away. What she wasn't prepared for was the syringes that the Foundation guards were carrying. The dart caught Amanda in the neck, immediately sending an icy chill down her spine. Cindy was hit in the arm, wincing in pain. Ugh, you asshole. Amanda! Amanda's eyes rolled up and she fell to the floor. Cindy ran to her side, cradling her in her arms, even as her own vision began to blur. Day, you have no idea what you've done. I'm doing what I have to do. Someday you'll understand that, Cindy. Cindy wanted to punch Day out, but her legs turned to jelly, and then the blackness rushed in, until she fell on top of Amanda, unconscious. Take them downstairs and put them in holding cells. Don't hurt them. Keep an eye on the raider. She's dangerous. Two more Foundation guards arrived, and between them, they picked up Cindy and Amanda and started carrying them downstairs. Day walked over to the radio and tore the device from the panel. He looked at it before dropping it on the floor and crushing it under his boot. As he headed downstairs as well, he met the overseer halfway down. You didn't hurt her, did you? Maybe your pride. She'll be fine in a couple hours. Same with her raider friend. What were they doing? Trying to contact the White Spring. She must have figured out what we were doing and was going to warn them. And? We spotted them sneaking in. Got to them before they could cause me harm. I only wish she could see what's really going on. But once this is over, I'll talk to her. Make her understand why we did what we did. She'll come around. I know she will. She's family. We'll be at Vault 79 before the White Spring has any idea. And after, we can start making things better for real. Let's go make a better future, Day. This is only the first step. The Overseer put her hand on Day's shoulder and squeezed. All their preparations were complete and the team was ready to depart. She wished Cindy could have been part of this momentous occasion, 
but the overseer was sure she'd eventually understand. As Sandy and Amanda were carried to their cells, Day and the overseer took the elevator down below Spruce Knob and their own date with destiny. Hi, I'm Firewriter, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the Enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast. XO1 King is Major Andrew Stein, Chrissy Williams is Trader Red, Mandy Marie B. is Abigail Singh, Lucy Middleton is Amanda, Maria Cheshire as Lieutenant Cindy Connors, Austin Rogers as Lieutenant Jones, Jessica Starr as Commander Sophia Daguerre, Ryan Negrin as Day, Wendy Novosinski as The Overseer, Chris Smith from One Wall Comedy as Gray 11, The Foundation Guard, and Graham, Josh Smith as Gray 9, Casual in a Corset as Corporal Samantha, Monty Wildhorn as Sergeant Tyson, Patrick Conway as Frederick Rivers, Rob Cunningham as The Mole Miners, and Brad Williams as The Voice of Modus. And a shout-out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, the Fallout for Rope Charity Drive for St. Jude's Children's Hospital, the Robots Radio Rocket Club and the rest of the Robots Radio podcast community, our extensive group of voice actors and fellow creators, and Jeremiah Johnson, a great character artist who's responsible for the fantastic artwork on our website. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode, Into the Mystery. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little enclave.